Welcome to the Aggressive Life. Here at the Aggressive Life, we want to talk about things that might not get talked about all that often. And if they are talked about, might not be talked about in a way that you would understand. That's a form of aggression. Let's do things a little bit differently here. Let's not just do the same old, same old. And yet, we're going to talk about something that's been talked about a lot, but maybe something you actually haven't understood or heard about. We're going to talk about the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, all of us who have Sunday school backgrounds, we actually remember that thing. You know, as I look around, I see very few people fighting for understanding. You know, we'll hear a viewpoint that counteracts ours, and we just immediately turn it off. If we're challenged on a value or belief, we call the person a hater, and we walk away. We've created these insular bubbles where our worldviews are stoked and then ignore all the other losers who don't share it. The book of Judges in the Bible says it this way. It says, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. It says that actually more than one time in the book of Judges. That's America today. We all do as right in our own eyes. Speaking of the Bible, it's a topic where this kind of dangerous group think happens regularly. Everyone's got an opinion on it, and very few people have actually read it, and even fewer people still actually understand it. It's an ancient document that seems sometimes to be terribly outdated, and yet it still stands. It's the most criticized book in the history of the world. It's the best-selling book in the history of the world. It's the only book that has endless PBS documentaries that are trying to debunk it. Nothing has been scrutinized more than the Bible, and yet it's here, and yet it stands. No matter how much you love it or you hate it or you try to avoid it, there's a gravitational pull towards the Bible, and that's what we're going to talk about the rest of our time. Back in 2014, friends John Collins and Tim Mackey started something called the Bible Project. What was their goal? It was to help people understand and engage the Bible in ways that are helpful, healing, in whole. Their YouTube channel where they post creative videos, breaking down biblical themes and books, has nearly three million followers. They've paired that with a wildly successful podcast, online classes, and much more. And did I mention that nearly everything is free? Because it is. John and Tim share the roles of writer and creative directors for the Bible Project. They're here today all the way from Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the Aggressive Life, John Collins and Tim Mackey. Hey, Brian. <laughs> hey, Brian. Well, you guys sound just excited to be here, just talking about the Bible. It's a normal day for you guys just talking about the Bible. Is that all you do all day is talk about the Bible? Uh, like, or you spend a lot of the day just reading the Bible. That's yeah, that's true. Like half the day, <laughs> spend like half the day. Half the then day. the rest of the half the day is how to communicate it and run an awesome organization that makes cool stuff about the Bible. Wait, 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 wait hold on, you lost me. You're <laughs> saying you actually read the Bible? <laughs> are, are you serious? Now you 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 actually pick it up and spend time alone and actually read it for yourself? Really? You don't you don't just read what other people said about it? Yeah, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is intimidating to sit down and read it. Yeah. And so people like me um, actually skip that. Uh, I, I found myself often going, yeah, I'll let someone else read it for me. But <laughs> but Tim, no, man, every day you're in it. You're, you're 
crushing it. Uh, that's the coolest stuff in the world, <laughs> in my opinion. So Tim's but. reading it, and John, you're just an atheist who does the creative stuff. I'm just absorbing stuff. it. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Bible Project has really empowered me to become a reader of the Bible. But mm-hmm. starting this project, yeah, I, I, I considered myself a post-Bible Christian. I wanted to follow Jesus, but I felt like the Bible was just getting in the way. Oh, explain that. But I think a lot of people would hmm. agree with you. I haven't heard it put that way. Just just unpack your personal stories here uh, relative to the Bible. Yeah, well, I grew up with the Bible. I grew up in a really amazing household, evangelical household that, you know, the Bible is God's word. It has the answers for this life and the next. And, um, and so I always had this just craving to understand it. And uh even went to college went to undergrad bible school that's where i met tim hmm. uh we went to the same same bible college um but there was something about the bible to me that um the more time i spent in it the more confused i'd get and um i just it just frustrated me to no end that i would come away with more questions to i just it, to the it got to the point where I thought, man, I'm really in for Jesus. I'm really in for this whole thing, but maybe I don't need to spend the t- time in this book. Other people can do it and then argue about it, but you know, like this this thing is just kind of getting in the way. I mean, I, I didn't ditch it completely. The teachings of Jesus were in there. Mm-hmm. The, you know, there's still some motivational stuff in there. Mm-hmm. You knew what pages had like your the, fe- the your goodies, favorite part. Yeah, I knew like the that. goodies. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I could hang a little bit in a debate. But as soon as people start using it to like argue a position, it's kind of like, I'm not interested in that. So I would call that becoming a post Bible Christian. And, and it just was an easier way to cope with the fact that the Bible is an actual difficult book to hang mm-hmm. with. Tim, how about you? What's your background with this mysterious book? Yeah, well, I grew up also, my parents were followers of Jesus, but they um, were also responding to their really strict religious upbringing. And so they did not force Bible on us at all. And so we attended church, you know, I knew about it, but uh, they gave me my first skateboard when I was 11. And then that's all I needed to discover uh, what I thought the good life was, which was (laughs) uh, skateboarding with my friends. And Blessed um, is the man who skateboards with his friends. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, I did a pretty thorough job rejecting anything to do with my parents or Jesus till my late teens. And um, I encountered uh, the stories about Jesus and the person of Jesus in the form of a skateboard park uh, that was run by a church. And that's actually where I met John a couple of years later. And so I started following Jesus because of the outreach ministry of this church through a skateboard park. And I was reintroduced to Jesus in a way I'd never heard him talked about before. Like in a way I could actually understand, first of all. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But then in this community, like there was a really high value on if you want to understand Jesus next level, you really need to understand how he fits into the Bible. And so I was 20 reading the Bible essentially for the first time, like reading it in earnest. And I was just so confused, Brian. I just, I just couldn't make the Jesus parts I got, but the talking snake, you know, <laughs> on page three and all the violence, all the violence that God's involved in, all the sex scandals and murder. And these are happening by the people that God says are the blessed people that he like keeps pursuing. And you're like, what is this about? 
So uh, I started, I uh, signed up for classes at a Bible college, which is the same one John went to, and uh, to try and learn how to read this. And man, I was just uh, given the gift of amazing professors right from the start. My first couple of years of reading the Bible, who taught me to read, honoring ancient cultural context, um, reading the Bible as ancient Jewish literature um, that's, that is actually literary art, beautiful, sophisticated profound works of communication. And I just learned how to read these texts in ways that just blew my mind and I've never been able to quit the habit. I, I just think it's the most amazing stuff in the world. And uh, it led to going to school for too long. Uh, well, actually I enjoyed it, but it was too long. And <laughs> so, um, and John approached me <clears throat> with the idea for doing this project a few years after I had finished my PhD and I was a teaching pastor and it just sounded like fun. Let's like, I want to take my whole education, everything that blew my mind. And what if we could distill it into short little videos and then eventually classes and make it all available for free. And there you go, Bible Project. You started off with the standard objections or challenges that just about everybody has with the Bible. It's a difficult book. There's stuff in there I don't understand. There's stuff in there I don't like. Yeah. But that's normally where people stop. They they stop right there. They said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm out. I'll go listen to a sermon by some hip preacher maybe, or yeah. maybe I'll, on the other extreme, I'll just reject Christianity or the idea of, of God. M most people are yeah. in that, but you guys push through to get yeah. more learning. Why? Why, why mm. would you do that? Why would anybody want to read this terribly old book, which is sometimes horribly backwards. Yeah. Well, I gave up. I yeah. mean, not, not completely. <laughs> not fully, but yeah. kind of. You had resigned yourself to like this, this amiable relationship yeah. with the Bible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, but still super curious about God, myself, Jesus, um, but just would be deflated when it got to Bible study time. Mm. Tim, but, and Tim and I were taking some of the same classes, mm -hmm. same professors, but there was something about, mm. I think a paradigm of the Bible I had in my head that had been so cemented. Um, I just couldn't push past it mm. where maybe I think you were a little bit more malleable. Like yeah. you were able to come to these classes yeah. a little, I mean, confused mm -hmm. like me, but yeah. with less rigid yep. sense of like, I have to make sense of this, this, and this, it's just kind of like, okay, yep. wide open. Yeah. And no baggage. Nope. Like I hadn't had any bad experiences with the Bible. I hadn't had any experiences really. <laughs> so it was kind of a blank slate. Um, and then also you're just nerdier than me. Yeah, I'm a nerd. But also that community around the skateboard park um, was really dedicated followers of Jesus. And that was a community that really valued part of following Jesus is um, understanding the story that Jesus saw himself bring to its fulfillment. And so if I really want to follow Jesus, I, uh, for me, it wasn't an option to like ditch the Bible because every you read the teachings of Jesus and they're saturated in his Bible. And I'm like, well, if I want to be down for following Jesus, I guess I need to get the rest of this book. And I don't know. And then I had friends. We, I, I mean, I signed up for Hebrew with my skateboard friends. So it was like we would study Hebrew verbs and then go like bomb, <laughs> bomb hills on Mount Tabor, you know, and, 
and then go back to study Hebrew vocab. So that, that was my college life. <laughs> Practice case <flip. laughs> Practice conjugation. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it's really important before we get into just how the Bible Project, your organization, has taken off and how you guys are, I assume you're making a living off it. You don't charge for things, but this is this is your job, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. That's so right. before we get into that fascinating story, that that's a pretty aggressive move right there. I'm going to support myself by talking about the Bible outside of a church context. That that's a pretty darn aggressive move right there. But, bef- <laughs> but before we put get- it on YouTube with the comments on. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right. Well, I, I want to go there, but before I do, I think it's really important to just unpack, like, why? What what yeah. what's the pitch for why? somebody should want to watch your videos or even understand the Bible, why not just go the, the way of everybody else who gets a bad attitude towards it and doesn't touch it? What's, what's the burn? What's in it for us to understand the Bible? Mm-hmm. I think for me, I was t- taken with the person of Jesus. I-, I was just so compelled by who he was. And this is before I even read the Bible. This is just hearing my skateboarder friends talk about him at the park. And so over a process of years, I just became enamored with who Jesus was, how he, how he treated people, the way he was in the world was just so beautiful to me. And so when I decided to start following him and actually read, you know, the accounts about him for myself, one, I realized like, oh, he's constantly talking about this bigger story that he sees himself a part of and bringing to fulfillment. What's that bigger story? Um, but then also, man, I just started when I could get past the surface tensions with the Bible, the violence and the sex scandals, and see that there were really profound ideas being explored about human nature, about human psychology, about family of origins, about Mm -hmm. God's purposes in the world, how God relates to our pain and violence, corporate violence. Um, All of a sudden, I was just like, man, I'm thinking about the deepest questions of like human life. And it's this literature that's getting me there. And I just, I got hooked on it because it was just, for me, it was the gateway to finally using my mind to look at the world and and think about things deeply. This book is a legacy. It's Mm. it's changed civilizations. It's um, empowered kings. It's also empowered the poor. It's, Mm. I mean, it's shaped the world more than any other piece of literature and arguably more than any other piece of art mm. in human history. Mm-hmm. And um, it, this, just as a mere, like, yeah. being the kind of person who cares about understanding this world and, and how the world has become the way we are, uh, it is mm. and why we are the way we are, this piece of literature, this art, is, is so mm. sophisticated and speaks in louder volumes than, mm. than, mm. Um, than most, mm. uh, arguably than any. Um, and so from a, a mere human perspective, uh, there, it, it is a wonderful quest to be a Bible nerd. Um, but we believe that it's human and divine, that this is actually God speaking to us through it and leading us to Jesus, which that's where the real juice is, where the action is. Yeah, you guys bring up some really, really salient points that I don't know that most of us have really thought about before. You know, we're really hot in our culture mm-hmm. right now of, digging out our family of origin demons, what's mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. you know, in previous generations, how's that affecting me, am I breaking the chain, the apple doesn't fall yeah. far from the tree, yeah. all these things that are pop psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, pop mm-hmm. as in, we've probably been looking at it 
only just for the last couple few decades, really much more intensely yeah. in this t uh, our current psychotherapy age, which yeah. I'm not anti-psychotherapy, by the way. But I was just thinking about this um, today. I'm reading in Genesis, and you've got the story of Abraham and Sarah, and he doesn't tell King Abimelech that this is his actual wife. He mm -hmm. says it's his sister, which is kind of a half-lie because he thinks the king wants Sarah because apparently she's pretty hot. She's older, but she's hot enough that he wants her. And he's afraid if he says, my wife, he's going to kill her, kill Abraham so they can have Sarah, right? And it's just this really weird story. And, and then it, his son Isaac does the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. when, when he's mm -hmm. married. So we have, before anyone's ever talked about family of origin, we have in the very yes. first book of the Bible, these examples of mm -hmm. kind of the sins of the father, as we know it, being past the second and third generation, not necessarily the second generation getting punished for the sins of the father, like God's taken it out of them. But but these things that we do as, as moms and dads get replicated in our kids. And we're doing things that our parents do. And I've just found myself being fascinated. Like, man, this is, this is long before Freud or anybody else came along. <laughs> it's right there. It's deep. It is. And, and that, and that ties right into this, what we're talking about that the Bible is um, literary art is that that story, not only is it talking about something so deep, uh, um, like how you're presenting it, but the way that it presents it to us in the story of Abraham and then repeated in Isaac it's actually all set up in the story of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And the way that the literature works is it wants you to be comparing these stories. Mm -hmm. So I'll let Tim kind of like jump in, mm -hmm. but like Adam and Eve, that whole story is they see the fruit is desirable. They take it, they, they desire it. They take it, they see it. There's all this key vocab mm -hmm. and you, tr and that, that exact same vocabs in that story with Abraham and Abimelech mm -hmm. and with Isaac and Abimelech mm -hmm. again, um, and it's, it's asking you as the reader to put these stories together and see how Abraham's failure is Adam's failure. It's, it's humans failure. It's mm -hmm. like, this is what we're all dealing with mm -hmm. that we're trying to do good on our own terms mm -hmm. and taking wisdom on our own terms. Mm -hmm. And it leads to disaster. Even when you are the one called by God to be the blessed one and bring blessing. Mm -hmm. now, I hate to ask like a, a really lightning leading inflammatory question. It's it's not at all. I'm just curious about your answer on this. You mentioned Adam and Eve. Do you believe Adam and Eve were literal beings? And is it necessary to believe that or not? Hmm. That's a good answer. Just get right to it. Yeah, just get yeah. right to well, it. Well, and here's why I said that's yeah. kind of aggressive. Let me tell you, if those are listening, that's, that's an aggressive question right there because, <laughs> because like... <laughs> Most of the time when you ask that question, there is a answer, there is an answer that has to come back for you to hear to have your worldview affirmed, or there's yeah. a thing that has to be said in order for you to like, okay, these are good people or not, you know? Yeah. So literally, either way you go, I'm okay with it. I'm just curious. And if you're yeah. concerned about getting slammed one way or the other and you want to plead the fifth, that's okay too. <laughs> um you know, I, I, from one perspective, I'm, I, it's impossible to be concise about that question. So there's nothing lightning about it. Sorry. Um, but uh, it makes all the sense in the world. This is a family history. These texts come from one particular family, ancient Israelites. And, um, you know, the, the family history reaches way back. 
um, and even before, you know, uh, Abraham. So, and it's really just um, not, not even 20 generations in the genealogy from Abraham back to Adam. So we're dealing with a highly stylized form of ancient historiography and family history telling. I think even, even to make the affirmative claim, you know, that Adam and Eve were actual people, it's important to realize the narratives about them have become highly stylized. For example, they're written in Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew as a language, the language that the story is written in is a language that the form of the Hebrew that the story is written in is the form of Hebrew spoken centuries after Abraham. In other words, Adam and Eve's names couldn't have actually been Adam and Eve because the Hebrew language didn't exist yet. <laughs> 20 generations before Abraham. Does that make sense? It does. So, yes. So the form of the stories is highly stylized according to the literary artistry of much later Israelite authors. Yeah. But it makes all the sense in the world that these are preserving real memories from the family history going back to their deepest roots. Now, how you square that with, you know, scientific reconstructions of human origins, that's where the waters get really muddy. But I, I, I don't see it as beyond... Uh, reasonable to say that these are preserving real memories, even if they're in a highly stylized literary form. There's just stuff in the Bible that we just don't know about. So I could put yeah. my hat on and say these are these are literally the very first man and very first sure. woman. And I yeah, would know sure. that there's difficulties with saying that, you know, uh, yeah. like— Okay, they've got sons, and their sons marry people. Where, where do these women yes, come from? They, totally. Where, yeah, so, where did so, Cain's wife come from? So God created, <laughs> yeah, God created yeah. just a bunch of people simultaneously, but only talked yeah, about Adam yeah. and Eve. So yeah, they were yeah. the first. So, or, or when Cain, or when Cain was exiled, who was he worried was going to kill him out in exile? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah there's a whole people humans. group someplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, Brian, the important thing there is we bring questions to the Bible that are legitimate. Super important, and there may be their felt needs for us, but we also skilled reading of the Bible also means learning how to release some of my questions and begin to come under the influence of what the biblical authors are trying to communicate. Because it may be that they wrote these stories to answer some other question I've never even thought of yet. And if I only ever let the cultural debates of my time determine what I'm looking for in the Bible, I'm likely to really miss out on most of, of what's going on. And that question is a good, a really good one. The narrative is trying to say so many other things about God's character, about human nature. And that question just uh, really doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what the author wants to communicate. And that's where the good stuff is, at least in my opinion. You had a, a podcast recently where you talked about misguided approaches to reading the Bible. I'm going to go through these one at a mm. time because some of us mm. uh, either look at the Bible as these things or we've had these approaches to the Bible used as a billy club to whack us around the, fa the face with. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I, I think it's interesting. So j just vamp on these a little mm. bit. The first one, the Bible as a theological dictionary. Why is it not to be used as a theological <laughs> dictionary? <laughs> Well, it wasn't written as one. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a dictionary is a very specific kind of book. 
where it, it organizes content in a very specific way. It's used as a reference book to look things up and mm. then find the answers that you mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it, mm. the Bible's just not written the way. Although there's a wonderful impulse behind that, mm. which is that the Bible is telling us theological truths mm. about us, mm. about God, mm. about the world. Mm. And, um, and we can find them and we, and it'll give us wisdom for mm. and. But uh, it doesn't do it as a reference book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The problem is uh, in the execution, not in the intuition. So the intuition is the Bible's meant to shape my view of reality. That's for sure what these stories are doing uh, and poems and all the rest of it, the letters. But it's the way we engage the Bible. So when I read a reference book or a dictionary, it's my question that's driving the agenda for where and of where and what I'm going to look for. And so I have a question. Where's the answer to that question? We'll turn to this page and look at that sentence on the page. And the Bible just so doesn't work like that. <laughs> like a narrative is meant to be read from beginning to end. And the first words of the first book of the Bible are in the, in the beginning. It tells you that it's presenting itself as a story. So the problem is when we treat it like a dictionary, we're likely to misunderstand the sentences that we pluck out of context to answer a question. And we're likely to not ever clue in to what the biblical authors are trying to do by writing in the style that they did. Amazing scholars have looked at the Bible as, as literature, the way it is designed yeah. and then created yeah. theological dictionaries. Yeah. That's right. And that's, that's a cool exercise mm-hmm. um, that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a separate Se- exercise, separate kind of project. Yeah. yeah. These are all good. We've got, I got, We've got four of them we're going to go through here. Theological Dictionary, mm-hmm. Moral Rule Book, Devotional Grab Bag, and Politicized Weapon. And if I look yeah. at my own walk with Christ for – gosh, I've been following Christ uh, – what is it? Uh, 39 years, 40 years, something like that. There's been mm-hmm. different seasons that I've aired on one of mm-hmm. these. So Theological mm-hmm. Dictionary, that was me in seminary. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. I just need to know what exactly yeah. does the Bible say about, I mean, name it, predestination. Yeah. Find those verses. Okay, there it is. And it's going to give yeah. you those verses. But then there's a whole bunch of others that say something different, mm-hmm. maybe. What's the yep, Bible say about, right. you know, this? And, and that's, that's all the Bible yeah. was for me, the theological dictionary. Yeah. Then I've had times for the second one, talk to us about the second faulty lens to view mm. the Bible through, which is a moral rule book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, again, I think we want to affirm the right intuition that um, these texts have always and are meant to shape our view of what is good and what is not good. It's actually what the Garden of Eden story is about, <laughs> about how humans uh, try to attain a knowledge of good and bad, but by their own wisdom and their own plan. So that's what the story is about. Um, and the Bible presents itself as the tree of life. And yes, and yeah, yeah. Scripture is talked about. Wisdom, God's wisdom is talked about as a tree of life. So it's more. It's all about how. How do I get moral teaching and wisdom out of these texts? And again, treating it as a reference book. Well, what does the Bible tell me to do about X? And then you find the page, and then you find the sentence on the page. But the problem there is that any moral guidelines or rules that are given in the Bible are always given in a very specific kind of context, whether it's a story where God's speaking to like a character in the story. 613 laws in the Old Testament are all given from God 
not to everybody in the world. <laughs> They're given to the people of ancient Israel who are sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. And even when Paul is writing his letters and he'll say, you know, like an ethical command for followers of Jesus, but he's writing to Christians living in a Greek and Roman cultural context in a first century house church. And so to ignore that context, I think uh, is just inevitably leads us to uh, misunderstand on multiple levels. And so it's just important to say the Bible is meant to give ethical wisdom, moral wisdom, but how do we get the Bible to do that? Well, it's not going to be by ignoring the literary form and cultural context. Well, and it's also not going to be a moral rule book that I use to bash other people with. That's that's the problem right there. But yeah. If that, I'm yeah, trying to right. have it shape my morality, okay, but put it on yeah. somebody else, that's a lose-lose. Sure. Yeah. All of our moral decisions are made within a much bigger view of reality that we have and a story that we believe about what's true and right and good. And the Bible's trying to influence us on the level of that overarching narrative and, and its ethical commands fit within that story. And if, if, but that's, if that's not your story, then none of its ethical wisdom is going to be compelling to anybody at all, you know, but that's a whole other conversation, I guess. How about the Bible as a politicized weapon? Yeah. Kevin talks about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of an implication or it's what usually happens because of the rule book or the dictionary approaches. Um, Cause it is, it is a political book in the sense that um, mm. it is supposed to shape the way you think about how to live in mm -hmm. community with others and yeah. in society. Yeah. Um, and it does have to say about how to interact with the governments that you live in. Mm. Um, but I think the way we think of politics um, or the way that our politics works, mm. um, it's asking us to have allegiance to a kingdom mm. that's much greater than any political system. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament and the New Testament were written for specific communities of people um, to help them foster their allegiance to the one true God. So that was Yahweh, the God of Israel in the Hebrew Bible. And then in the New Testament, it's, you know, honoring Jesus' claims to be that God, become human, to do for all of us what we can't do for ourselves. And so it, this is literature written for minority communities of faith, Israel and the early Jesus movement. And it's meant to shape the life, the common life yeah. of those communities. Yeah. And the, the challenge with political weapon is it usually involves Christians um, using literature aimed at the community of faith and trying to use it to guide or influence people who are not in the community of faith. Right. And it's just, right. it's, that's extremely problematic for all right. kinds of reasons, because uh, you're enforcing a minority ethical viewpoint now, I'm, it's actually more complicated than that, though. Right. So it's a, quite a can of worms. Yeah. And, and then finally, the devotional grab bag. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Well, I, the intuition behind this, which is a good intuition, is that God wants to uh, speak to me through mm -hmm. this book and wants me to find, uh, find mm -hmm. power, mm -hmm. find encouragement, mm -hmm. um, find being challenged mm -hmm. through my experience with this, with these words. And that's totally true. I think the execution of mm -hmm. treating it like, you know, where, 
where am I going to find the verse to then put on this photo so I can do the Instagram post or, um, you know, what verse am I going to stitch on the wall? Like, Mm. like there's nothing wrong with that, Mm. but like to just try to find your kind of favorite power verses and use it as Mm. um, a book to just pull what you need from it. Then you're detaching it from all of its context, all of its literary art Mm. and beauty and and then you're gonna find yourself often um, a little flat-footed with mm. with the Bible. The, um, so mm. again, good good intuition. God wants to speak to us. Mm-hmm. And there's some amazing prose and amazing yeah, one poetry line, yeah. and one-liners. Great and, one-liners. Oh, amazing! Like, yeah. And yeah, hang it up on your wall and put it on your Instagram <laughs> post. But the danger is like if that's my only experience with the Bible is like okay, I got my five minutes. I got to find that one power verse, and then yeah. God will speak to me through it. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not going to work that way for you every time. It is so discouraging to interact with people who I know who've been involved in a church, have been proclaiming themselves as followers of Christ, been baptized, whatever, on and on and on. It's, it, it's so discouraging to actually interact with folks and find how biblically ignorant they are. Um, which I would expect of that with somebody who has been a Christian attending a church, been a person of faith for, you know, a couple months or a couple years. But man, I just meet more and more people. It's like it's like decades. And and they've got no more knowledge of God or understand the scriptures twenty years later than they did twenty one years ago. It's, sure. it's really yeah. sad. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, um, uh, Dallas Willard, who was an influential philosopher, Christian philosopher, spiritual formation writer. I'm going to butcher this quote. I need to go look it up so I can quote it exactly. But yeah, he had this quote in an important book on discipleship uh, called The Divine Conspiracy. And he's talking about, um, you know, wide swaths of Christian churches full of people who actually don't have any particular plan or directive purpose of their life to actually follow the teachings of Jesus. It's just kind of very general, you know, I'm in for Jesus, but uh, they don't actually follow his teachings. And the way he puts it is your system is perfectly designed to give you the result that you are now getting. (laughs) So for me, that just makes me curious to be like, what is it about in, in my, you know, general tradition, conservative Protestant church culture that is producing people by the hundreds of thousands where um, engaging the Bible is optional or shallow at best, you know? So instead of like, what's wrong with people? It's like, what's wrong with our system that's generating this result? And, you know, to be honest, uh, um, not that John and I are we're trying like set out to change the world or something, but I think we grew up in in, in we're in contexts that were like that, and we we're just like, man, there's so much more here. There's got to be a different way to help people see what the Bible is all about. And when you do that, people are excited. Yeah, like our experience is that people are actually pretty smart, and they just need a, a reframing of what the Bible is. And the moment you show people what these texts are really doing. Mm. Then they're off to the races. People light up and are really excited to start reading the Bible again. It's it's hard. It's frustrating to read a text and feel lost. Yeah. And so for me, my personal experience was like, I don't, I don't need to. 
I can still hang with this crew mm-hmm. and I have enough of the right answers. I know what to say. I know what not to say. Like, I don't actually have to sit in and be confused reading these stories and these letters. It might be kind of masochistic to like force myself to do it all the time. <laughs> that was my experience. Yeah. So hopefully people are going to be listening to this and going, you know what? I, I need to start reading the Bible or at least I need to get back into it or I need to do yeah. it more often. If someone's fired up to do that, what do, what do you think they should read tomorrow? Give give us a a chapter we should read tomorrow, or where we should start, and give us like a a three little quick bullet point list of okay. Here's what you do when you read the Bible. Do this. Go. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know what's funny is we make short videos. But um, so you're just gonna tell ask. me go to our YouTube channel and watch, <laughs> and that's fine too. That's fine too. Maybe you've got because yeah. this is a really good point. I want to get into your yeah. your organization yeah. in just a moment, but yeah, I, sure. I, I hate even asking that now that I say it because you yeah. recognize that mere somebody giving words doesn't do yeah. it. You have a whole artistic, artistic yeah. deep dive that's more engaging. So, is there a video you would say go watch this mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. Well, well, maybe start. We could start here and say uh, first. Start in the Gospels. I hear you talk about that a lot. I think that's a, a mm. great place to start reading the Bible. That's Matthew, Mark, Because really, it's John. all about Jesus. Yep. Four, yeah. four accounts of the life of Jesus. And there's and they're mostly stories. You're going to get confused, mm-hmm. but you're also going to be amazed. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Secondly, mm-hmm. don't do it by yourself. Yes. Read it yes. in community. Yep. Find some people to read it with. Yep. Even read it out loud with each other. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to read it separately, come together and talk about it and get the questions on the table and everyone just discussing yep. um, would be the second thing. Yep. I, and I think the third thing is um, know and expect that confusion and questions are coming or will come and they're, they will come by design. Mm. These are the kinds of texts that shape people by putting crazy difficult things in front of you and forcing you with your community to wrestle with hard questions that are raised by the stories. Um, Biblical literature communicates and invites people to grow by making you very uncomfortable. (laughs) Like the stories do that by design. (laughs) And if we're, what we're looking for is something simple uh, and easy to wrap your mind around. Um, the Bible is just not really that kind of book. John, that's a, both of you, great points. John, I'm thinking what you said about community. I'm mm. thinking, gosh, guilty. I've got this group of guys I meet with every week and I'll come in, share something on the Bible and we'll talk about it. And, and we've recently been doubling down on, hey, what is your Bible reading plan? What is it? Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. You, you, you just have to know what it is. Uh, and I'm not like one of these guys that says, hey, you got to read the whole Bible in a year. Or you've got to do three chapters a day. <laughs> Whatever you're taking in right now is better than not taking in anything. So yeah, sure. I'm really on that. But I'm kind of challenged by your your stuff there, John. We probably should be saying we're going to have a Bible reading plan that looks like this. Then we'll come together to talk about it. Maybe it's just a one chapter. But we all knew we read that chapter. And what do you think about that? Or it's five chapters that week. What do you think about that? So we can do it in community. That's that's probably the better tact to take other than, hey, just figure it out and do it. Yep. And then another piece of that is as you read the Bible with a group of people, find a resource that's going to be a helpful guide. And um, 
So sometimes that's a Bible study curriculum. Sometimes that's a commentary or it could be sometimes it's some, a resident Bible nerd. Sometimes yeah. you've got a Bible nerd uh, or some videos that are free on the internet. I don't know. Well, we got to remember <laughs> back to the community thing and being with people. Yes. N- yeah. No one was reading the Bible personally until 1575 right. or whatever the printing press exactly came out. Actually, right. people weren't even getting books probably till 16 yeah. something or other. But so yes. the, the most powerful days of Christianity, all those New Testament books were written and uh, and read in community because no one had yeah. those scrolls on their own. And yet exactly we right. here in America, oh, unless you're having your personal quiet time, your personal devotions, <laughs> there's no way you can know God. What about those people who yeah. who didn't have any scrolls or Bible to read? They were, they did a lot better than us. Yeah, and how wonderful that we get our own copy of the Bible. That's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. But yeah, let's not forget the power. that These mm-hmm. books were actually designed to mm-hmm. be read aloud and heard aloud. And there's something powerful mm-hmm. about um, sitting with people, listening to it, mm-hmm. feeling the shape of it audibly. Um, there's something there because that is how they were designed to be received. So I'm just fascinated how in the world this becomes your livelihood. How, how does that happen? Because uh, a lot of people want to want to do something aggressive to start a business or get out on some adventure. I don't think anybody would say, hey, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to start an organization that talks about the Bible. Those are called churches, and those are very, very difficult gigs to do. You're doing something <laughs> totally different with a market that's seemingly shrinking more and more every day with fewer and fewer people who are really interested in the Bible, and yet you're doing it and doing well. What was the genesis of that crazy idea? What did you do in the early days? Well, so Tim was was studying you know, the Bible for too many years, as he says, <laughs> and um I started working in um, in kind of marketing, learning how to do what in the industry just called explainer videos now. I actually started a company called Epiphio, which is in, in Cincinnati. With um, uh, The whole thing was how do you take a complicated idea and explain it visually in a, in a couple of minutes so that someone can go from, I don't know what this is and why it matters to, I get it. Like I, now I can't not think about this thing on these terms, this kind of paradigm shift. And actually this, this medium of animation is, is really great for that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I became really enamored in that, in that medium in that craft Mm -hmm. and was doing it professionally and just saw that there was a great opportunity to do that for Mm -hmm. the Bible. This was, you know, we started talking, talking about this in 2012, Mm -hmm. So, you know, YouTube was becoming a thing, you know, mm-hmm. that was the days when the vloggers were getting on the different things. Um, and so you could start a YouTube channel and that could, you know, it wasn't going to be your day job, but it just sounded like a really fun side project. Mm-hmm. So Tim was working at a church. I was making these professionally. Why don't we write some scripts and make these and put them online? And it would just be a really fun thing to do because one of my favorite things was to sit and talk about the Bible with Tim uh, because not only was he so like smart, but like, I never felt like there was questions that were off limits. Uh, I felt like Tim always helped me ask better questions than the one I, I was asking. And then I would go away feeling like the Bible was more interesting and more divine than, than when I started. And so it's like, if we can do this project and we have these conversations and use this tool that I love, Let's just do that and um, 
And the idea was that um, we could get it crowdfunded enough where we would have enough money to keep paying artists mm-hmm. to at least make the next video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just if it's a good idea and they're of any value to anybody, we'll know pretty quick. Yeah. Because <laughs> people will pitch, uh, in, pitch in, help us make the next one. So that was also a way of kind of putting a, a ripcord uh, on the parachute, <laughs> so to speak. Of if it's not going to work, we'll know and we'll just go do something else. Uh, but if people respond, then we'll know there may be something here. What's the biggest step of faith or the that's the that's that's the christian way to say it the biggest step mm-hmm. of faith the the worldly or more earthy way to say it is you know the the biggest fearful heart-stopping mm. decision you've had to make or move you've had to make mm. Mm. you know i don't know about you tim but i think uh steve this guy steve who we work with who is really, he's our CEO, mm-hmm. runs the company now mm-hmm. for us, which is an amazing guy. He likes to use the metaphor that we're surfing a wave, like God created the wave and we get to surf it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dropping into a wave, I guess, is can be scary. Mm-hmm. But um, the wave started kind of small and it just has been growing and we're just yeah. learning how to surf it. Yeah, um, totally. And so there hasn't, for me, there hasn't been like one decision where it's like, ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Um there's been some decisions that we've been dancing around trying to figure out and we know they're heavy. Mm. Um, so we're being careful, mm. but that's different but than like yeah. everything's on the line. Yeah. It's all, it's been seven years since we launched the YouTube channel and um, it's been very incremental, Brian. So um, both of us started shifting over to, from quarter time from like just giving away our time to then quarter time to half time. So I think we were three years in before either of us were able to throw in our full-time efforts to it. And uh, I don't know, it, each step has felt clear, but not before a certain point. It was more like, I wonder when, and then three months later, it's like, okay, I guess this is the time when we're <laughs> going to do that. So I, I don't remember a feeling of like, man, I'm leaving some cool thing, but I'm going to go throw all my cards in on this random thing. It just never felt like that. It just has always felt very natural, like a great gift, to be honest. So I, also and, a lot of work, like especially the first couple of years for you, Tim, like you were working a full-time pastoral job, which yeah. I hear is, is a hard job <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. And then on top of that, you were like yeah. reading and researching and writing tons yeah. of these scripts. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were grinding it out. I guess it was fun. <laughs> but you were having fun. My wife tells me I was even present at home. So wow. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. That's what I'm talking about, though. It's just felt kind of natural. I I've, I would feel more heroic if there was a moment where it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where it was like, oh, this is the biggest risk of my life. But it just that just hasn't been the journey so far. It's just felt very natural and like a gift. Yeah. You know, when you think about you know, your podcast, The Aggressive Life, being like, for me, for me, there is the big aggressive moves in life. And those are awesome. But sometimes like, it's the small, like, this is a cool idea. And the, what separates someone from executing an idea and not executing an idea is just like five or six really small things. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, let's do this next thing. Let's do this next thing. Mm-hmm. And 
all of those together tell a really like powerful, aggressive story. But like, as you're going through it, mm-hmm. none of it felt like this was the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before, how, you know, as men anyway, we've got three of us who are men here. We all like to have the fantasy, or at least we think that if someone held a gun to our, someone in our family's head or if our loved one was in front of a speeding train, we'd, we'd, we'd tackle the gunman or we'd push the person out of the way of the train and we'd take the bullet or take the speeding train, you know. That's kind of a form of aggression, right? It's like, it's positive <laughs> aggression. I'm gonna do this big thing that everyone's gonna say, wow, that's a hero. I mean, that's, that's fine if that happens, but the truth of the matter is, most of us are never going to have that happen. Being aggressive isn't having the heroic moment. It's just what you talked about. I just going to do the next thing. I'm not just going to wait for something to happen. It just seems right to do the next thing. Let's go quarter time. Okay. Let's do half time. Let's, uh, Mm -hmm. let's do a, or, or let's just get together and write the script and let's rewrite the script. Yeah. (laughs) And then let's, you know, let's talk with an illustrator. Like let's just like the next, put the YouTube channel up, like all these little steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, it yeah. all adds up. Yep. And you're moving. You're, you're just yeah. making progress. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Especially, especially with creative projects where when the end result is three false starts, a whole thing we pursued and then killed that idea. But that's what allowed us to get to the next thing, which is what we ended up making. And that's, so much of what we do is iterating and, problem solving and going back and so it feels more like putting bricks in a wall yeah and it's about the next brick (laughs) Uh, than about you know the wall as a whole i'm always surprised that the wall as a whole exists by the time we're done i'm like man that was so complex how did we get there but it was fun this is this is really rich Uh, i've i normally have a segment of the podcast which is called the lightning round where i ask you people things this real quick rapid fire question like bam 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 i I, i'm not gonna do that right now because i i don't think i can ask you something and get a rapid fire question because it wouldn't you won't yeah you never will yeah (laughs) well and and not there there shouldn't e there shouldn't be on this (laughs) on this topic and you guys have had some really great thoughtful answers coming into it so i i think that's that's just good i'm i'm not gonna do lightning round here just just a couple more questions though one what do you find as the most inspiring verse to you right now? Probably would have answered different uh, a month ago or a year ago. It's kind of like when someone says, what's your favorite book? It changes all the time based on what's, what I'm thinking of or reading. So, but right now, like what's a, what's a verse that means something to you or a story that means something to you personally? <laughs> uh, I've been working on a project in the book of Exodus recently and, uh, Man, for me, so many threads of the biblical story come together in that moment right after the Israelites make the golden calf uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses uh, uh, goes up before God and uh, he says, uh, if you're not going to forgive the people, then blot my name out of your book. Um, he's He's offering to give his own life and destiny over to death on behalf of uh, really, really selfish, self-destructive people. And uh, that image of Moses offering his life is all pointing forward to the suffering servant and the story of Jesus. But um, for me, that's just such a profound turning point. 
And, and God accepts Moses' intercession because he was willing to give up his life. It's giving up one's life becomes the gateway of God's mercy to the world. Um, that's something I'm thinking about right now. Mm. That's good. John, anything for you? It, the most exciting, maybe biblical theme is this idea of being the image of God. Mm. It's really reframed for me the story mm. of following Jesus um, and what it means to be human. And, um, and so, and we spend so much time in the, in the Genesis stories, Genesis one and two. And, and so, yeah, just that, that verse there in the first creation story where God's, God's bringing order to everything. He's brought order to the, um, to the land. He's created all these land creatures, but then there's this one creature that's still a land creature. It's this mammal. <laughs> and later you're going to find out he's made of dirt and mud and God blessed him and that this creature was made in his image, both male and female hmm. in the image of God. He created them. And for, and for me, the, the image of God was kind of this abstract idea of being kind of cool cognitive creatures who could like maybe think rationally. <laughs> and that's what separates us from the animals. But just that the calling of being the image of God was to rule over mm. his creation and steward it have dominion over it and to me just that that partnership with god of being i'm going to be the one that reflects god's rule here that just man it's kind of reshaped the way i think about my life more than more than anything john tim if somebody wants to follow up with you find your stuff take a deep dive down the bible project wormhole how do they do that advertise your stuff and how to how to follow up yeah uh, bibleproject.com uh is the best place to go you'll find all our stuff there um you can also find it on youtube youtube.com slash bibleproject and uh soon we're gonna have a mobile app next year which i'm really excited about and mm -hmm. so you can just search us in the app store but not until january of mm. next year mm. yeah maybe a simple way would be uh to invite you know, the listener, think of the book of the Bible that's been the most difficult for you or that you know you like the least and that you avoid. And um, check out the video that we made on it and then maybe try reading it again and see if you don't have a different experience. And uh, if you find it helpful, then there's a lot more where that came from. You got, do you have a video for every book of the Bible, all 66? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, hey, we appreciate the creativity you guys are putting into this, the way you're modeling for us going after a vision and, and trying to understand the heart and the mind of God. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, Thanks, Brian. absolutely. So that wraps up another episode of The Aggressive Life. Hey, if you like this episode, why don't you give us a good rating? If you don't like this episode, tough toenails, don't give us any rating at all. Who cares? But if you like it, why don't you go give us a good rating? Because the more good ratings we have, the more good guests we can woo on to The Aggressive Life. Help us be aggressive, and we'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second 
and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.